Now, some of these same people are saying, you know, Biden just doesn't get it. You can't work with Republicans anymore. That's not the way it works anymore. Well, folks, I'm going to say something outrageous. I know how to make government work. Welcome to the Political Notebook podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. Today we're going to talk about two topics. First, immigration, response to President Donald Trump's recent speech proposal about an immigration policy. And then we're also going to talk about the developing presidential campaign uh, and the people competing about 25 people now competing uh, to be the Democratic nominee. But let's start with immigration. So Trump gave a proposal on uh, just a couple days ago. Uh, what was the some of the details of that plan that he has? Well, it, it had um, the elements of border security that he has proposed in the past, although it continues to be conspicuous that his proposals do not include um, mandatory use of E-Verify by um, American businesses to ensure that the people whom they hire are eligible legally to work in the country. Uh, There was a um, vague proposal to make border security self-funding by some kind of assessments that would occur at the border um, for goods and and, uh, potentially people. But the main thrust of the speech was to say, we're going to maintain the same level of legal immigration, but we're going to shift the emphasis uh, to be more based upon skills and the ability to contribute to the high wage economy and less on family unification. Most of legal immigration in the United States today uh, is to um, unite um, families. Uh, That's contrary to the approach of most industrialized democracies, which tends tend to stress um, skills and economic contribution to the high-wage economy. Was this anything new coming out of Donald Trump? It sounds like a lot of the stuff he's talked about before what's what's different or why why the need for a whole whole speech announcing this um, plan? Pr- pr- probably it was political i mean clearly he wants to the need uh, the the felt need was political that he wants to um, run in 2020 as he did in 2016 on the immigration issue and uh, this sort of completed um, the element of what to do with legal immigration while he's act while he has generally been more aggressive and detailed about what to do about illegal immigration but there was something uh, different and somewhat encouraging in the past he has suggested that he would like to see a reduction in overall legal immigration uh, and he seemed to be skeptical about the need uh, or benefit to Uh, American businesses of high-skilled immigration. Uh, In this particular speech, he said, we're going to continue to have the level of immigration that we have today, so no longer a suggestion that we would try to cut legal immigration. 
and a far more receptive and welcoming attitude uh, towards expanding high-skilled immigration in the country. Any unpredictable or surprising reactions from it from people in Arizona, lawmakers or, or other, other figures? Uh, no, I really think that uh, politically there's sort of immigration fatigue. I mean, we've been right. at this um, hot and heavy since uh, the mid-2000s, um, uh, and nothing ever gets done. So um, I think that, it, that there was sort of a shrug, uh, even though a little bit of it, I mean, the, the idea of making border security self-funding uh, was new um, and interesting. I happen to think it's a bad idea, but it's new and interesting. And uh, having um, maintaining current numbers of legal immigration and being far more welcoming to high-skilled immigration was something new and important. But politically, <laughs> the reaction right. was a giant shrug. Yeah, and that was kind of the point you're getting at in a, in a column you just wrote, talking about the deal-making the deal making opportunity for the purported master deal-maker, President Trump, um, which you say is, he has not made very, very many or any deals to prove that he's a deal maker. But you talk about how the deal to be had has been there since 2007, that the Democrats win the argument about the past and the Republicans win the argument about the future. What do you mean by that? Anything meaningful on immigration is going to require a bipartisan deal. Um, Trump, no matter how good he does and what kind of coattails he has uh, in 2020, isn't going to bring about a filibuster-proof um, Senate. So you're going to have to make a deal. Uh, what the Democrats care most about uh, is winning the argument about the past, uh, providing amnesty for those who are currently here illegally, uh, highest priority given to those brought here illegally as children, uh, but also their parents and, and relatives and just a general amnesty for those who uh, have broker immigration laws but otherwise have been productive uh, residents of this country. Republicans ought to care most about the future, and that was the deal that was struck between Ted Kennedy and Arizona Senator John Kyle, where there was um, legal status provided for those currently here illegally and a path for citizenship. But um, Kyle got Kennedy to agree to um, what Kyle thought was important for border security, and he is and was a border security hawk, uh, that included a mandatory use of an enhanced E-Verify uh, system uh, and a change for future legal immigration along the lines that Trump has called for to make it more based upon skills and contributions to the high-wage economy and restrict family unification uh, to spouses and children 
uh, not to also include parents and siblings, which is what creates the chain migration. But Republicans, Democrats undercut it because it also included a guest worker uh, program that organized labor didn't like. But it was done in by uh, the grassroots right uh, objecting to the amnesty. Uh, and unfortunately, so far, Republicans have not been willing to concede the argument about the past to win the argument about the future, which means we have the stalemate that we've had since that point in time. And so it seems like, and, and I think this is the, the point of your piece, is that it takes a really strong leader and a deal maker to, to bring all those people together, hammer out the negotiations between both sides and to you know to thread that needle where it can can actually be passed. Well and, and there's a there's a, a new urgency. I mean illegal immigration was always a problem, but it was a problem that the country obviously was willing to live with. The overrunning of our borders by asylum seekers with children uh, is uh, different. Um, and that is a true crises, and something needs to be done about it. But getting anything done about it requires a small-scale deal uh, with the same basic bargain, that Democrats get something where they win the argument about the past in exchange for doing what Republicans think would reduce the flood of asylum seekers uh, with children uh, showing up at our borders and overwhelming our resources. Probably it would involve uh, doing the things that Republicans want to do to move asylum applications to the Central, Ares Central American countries that are producing the flood, uh, increasing the ability to de detain families together for a longer period of time, and increase immigration judges um, so that you can process asylum claims at the border before you have to release people. But in order to get that, and my guess is uh, that you've got to give up something on the amnesty side, and the logical uh, top priority is to combine what Republicans want to curtail the flood of asylum seekers with legal status uh, for dreamers, those brought to the country illegally as children. So I would say the chance of Trump putting aside his uh, hostility issues and brokering that deal is about 0%. Um, well, I don't think it's actually Trump's hostility because he discussed a deal that involved dreamers with Chuck Schumer uh, and Nancy Pelosi. So maybe it's his volatility. Maybe it's his no. I I think it's the fact that the Republican um, right wing uh, base won't accept amnesty. They're unwilling to concede the past in order to win uh, the future, and that is the most loyal part of Trump's base at this point in time. And I just don't think he's willing to run the political risk of alienating his, the most loyal part of his base. So what that, what's that going to do when his chief claim to the White House, had, there's no evidence that he has, <laughs> I mean, maybe that doesn't matter any maybe it's, maybe 
it's just all bluster and and that's going to be the same exact bluster that that carries him over. Um, well, I don't think he can also, run in 2020 as the universe's greatest deal maker. <laughs> During his four years in office, he he didn't succeed in bringing about any deals either domestically or internationally. But I don't know that it will be that big of a factor uh, in the 2020 election. Yeah, that immigration? He, no, immigration will be so a big what? factor, but, but his failure... To make deals, <laughs> I, I I don't know. Well, he's his he's record got, yeah. will, will will be tax cuts, spurring the economy, deregulation, judges, judges. So he he's got a record of accomplishment. They just don't involve deals. So how might the Democrats uh, respond or run on on the immigration issues? Bunch of people running. Uh, Joe Biden just officially entered the race. He's been unofficially in it for a while. He even announced a while back that he's that he's in it, but he had his official kickoff speech. And in that speech, he set himself apart from a lot of their candidates by saying, "You know, I don't. I'm not going to be the person saying." Republicans are evil and we can't work with them at all. We have to overwhelm them to to right the ship. He basically is saying, you know, I'm not going to agree with them everything and I'm going to oppose things that I believe in, but this government that we have is about compromise and, and striking deals on things and that he is going to uh, work with Republicans. How do you how do you see that that message playing out? How do you how do you see the the Democratic primary playing out right now? Well, with respect to immigration, uh, I don't think the Democrats are going to want to argue the specifics, uh, and it is telling that there doesn't seem to be any attempt uh, by House Democrats to do anything on immigration. Their approach on immigration is going to be Donald Trump is a meanie, mm-hmm. um, and and listen to his rhetoric. He hates people of color and and he demonizes uh, immigrants that made the country great. So I think it's just going to be that Trump is a meanie, rather than here's what we should do about immigration. I don't know. Um, whether there is an appetite in the Democratic Party uh, for um, sort of a reprise of Barack Obama's 2008 election campaign where he says we need to rise above our uh, divisive politics. Um, He didn't do that as president, but that was a very powerful part of his pitch. It does seem that the energy in the re, in the Democratic Party um, uh, wants scalps, uh, wants wants uh, uh, re- Republicans to be wounded, and and victory uh, isn't enough. Now, I think the country is hungry uh, for that pitch, uh, and it may be that that Biden is figuring. Uh, that he can succeed in a Democratic primary uh, without engaging in the kind of rhetoric um, that uh, makes the 
general election, a complete party turnout election. We, we, we know Trump will run a divisive campaign because he's not capable of any other mode of politics. And a um, less divisive approach, I think, would have a broad appeal. I just don't know whether there's an appetite for it in the uh, Democratic Party right now. Some of the, most of the commentary I'm seeing is almost uh, reflecting and, and, and correcting the perception that, you know, this woke, progressive, uh, angry wing of the party is as powerful as it's been perceived to be, evident by one thing, just the poll, the poll numbers of, of Joe Biden uh, over over everyone else and and sort of I think the the recorrecting of a lot of the pundits are you know now saying well, maybe that wing of the party isn't that strong after all maybe most of the electorate is actually looking for more pragmatism um, <clears throat> you know going back to uh, just civility and you know even if even if Barack Obama maybe in his his politics wasn't as as bipartisan and and his, you know, his, his tone and, and his decency certainly was a stark contrast uh, with what we're seeing now in the White House. Um, but you, you still see that that wing is strong, and who do you think well, is we, maybe has a chance to, uh, to compete with with Biden uh, moving forward? We we won't know until the votes are counted. Um, I tend to discount. Biden's uh, strong position in the polls as mostly reflective of name ID and association with the Obama administration, which is still uh, regarded very favorably by uh, Democratic voters. I think that the behavior of politicians is um, perhaps the most reliable indicator of where the pu public is. These are people who are finely attuned um, to where the political zygeist is and where it is headed. And except for Biden, they are all rushing to the left and trying to be the most woke, progressive candidate um, possible. Although I don't know that she will be the nominee, and I think she has badly hurt herself um, with the Indian mishandling of the Indian heritage uh, issue. Um, I do believe that Elizabeth Warren represents the heart and soul of where the Democratic Party currently is, uh, and that is um, in favor of a huge expansion in the uh, regulatory state, um, in addition to the expansion in the welfare state uh, that people like Bernie Sanders has championed. Um, but I do believe that the ideas that she has developed, and, and she's been the most uh, fruitful policy advocate in the Democratic primary, uh, represents where the heart and soul of the party is. And it will be interesting to see the extent to which Biden tries to differentiate himself from the other candidates, not only on tone and approach, 
but also on policy. Is he going to support Medicare right. for all? Is he going to support free college tuition? Is he going to support uh, Elizabeth Warren's proposal to completely change the nature of large American corporations to make them basically social organizations as much as economic organizations and uh, turn a significant part of con control over to workers? Um, will he support the uh, wealth tax that uh, some have advocated? I mean, various candidates have come up with various different ways to try to get more money uh, out of um, more affluent Americans, even though the only way to pay for what they're proposing is with a European-style value-added tax. Yeah, I'm interested in, in just seeing the the different lanes that people fall into and try to try to distinguish themselves. I think maybe Biden's success will cause some people to maybe see that they, they don't have to run so far to the left. Um, in, what most interesting to me has been looking at some of Cory Booker's statements the last couple of weeks because he's he, he kind of distanced himself a little bit from the Medicare for all. He defended his uh, charter school support uh in the past so he's he's he was kind of trying to strike a more pragmatic approach but then he came out with the by far the strongest gun control policy so um you know not a not a consistent more centrist candidate but on certain issues it seems like he's trying to be that and maybe maybe there's a combination there well um, he, he certainly was as mayor I, I, I think the Cory Booker, who was mayor, would have an excellent chance to be our next president. I don't know that the Cory Booker, who is a senator and a presidential candidate, um, does, because he's trying to play a lot of it both ways. Mm -hmm. He's both for Medicare for all, uh, but also for more pragmatic, incremental improvements to Obamacare. Well, I'm not sure when... I mean, this will be very much a campaign that sort of defines where the modern Democratic Party is, and it is going to be a contest for ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think trying to play both sides against the middle is ultimately going to be what prevails. I think that there's going to be a choice. Yeah. Either, either Biden is a continuation of um, the more uh, centrist uh, Democratic approach, um, or the uh, chosen woke uh, yeah. progressive, and the same. It's been interesting as a you know as a teacher in the aftermath of all these teacher movements across the states, uh, <clears throat> seeing how the different Democrats are pandering to that to that crowd. Um, you know, promising to increase their salaries by this much. Bernie Sanders just uh, just came out with a, with a huge. Uh, proposal and a call for a, a moratorium on charter schools and a, and a ban of uh, for-profit charter schools. So I'm uh, I'm hoping that at least one of those people, I know Beto O'Rourke has Pat in the past uh, been personally connected to charter schools, and 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 Cory Booker has defended it. I hope he keeps defending it just just for the debate there, you know, about about education. So it's not just all the Democrats supporting but, a nationalization of the of 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 the 
you know, of the system. Cory Booker is the only one that's saying, look, maybe, maybe the federal government shouldn't dictate what localities do. It, it could be a way for Booker to make this a civil rights issue within the right. Democratic Party. That would be an extremely high-risk strategy for him. Um, but it might be the sort of thing that did distinguish him um, from the crowd uh, in a way that would uh, attract to him uh, the minority vote that's going to be so important in, in Democratic primaries. Well, we'll end that conversation there. We'll hold off on talking about the Arizona legislative session because we have no idea when it's going to end. Maybe it may it'll not end. end. <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh, maybe it'll end soon. But thanks everyone for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. You can subscribe and listen to us on SoundCloud iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.